Hello, and welcome to episode 60 of the 21 Handshake Marketing Podcast. If you are new to listening, welcome. Our podcast covers social media news and digital marketing trends for anyone who is involved in business. So whether you are B2B or B2C, and whether you're on the marketing or the sales team, we go over tips, trends, and leave you with some actionable items to apply or think about. First off, I'm Sarah, an account manager here at 21 Handshake. I'm Ashley, also an account manager. My name is Alex. I'm in charge of visual content. And today in a little bit, we will also be joined by the VP of Business Development and Strategic Partnerships, Paul Roscoe from Atomic Reach. This is a very cool platform, Atomic Reach. It is an intelligence software that uses data and AI to drive more engagement and conversions from your content. So whether it be a product description, an email, a blog post, a landing page, very cool how it can drill down into what you should be saying to capture your target audience. Because in this day and age, we all want content that kind of is relevant and emotionally relevant to our readers. So we're very excited to hear some insights from Paul about how AI can help all of your content get more conversions. But first, it's time for our digital marketing news segment where we dive into what has been taking place over the last few weeks in digital and social media marketing. Ashley, first off, this is a fun study that we came across about how much people would pay for popular apps such (laughs) as Instagram or YouTube. So how much would people pay for those apps <laughs> if, if they true. were paid? It's true. Pay it's very fascinating. Me and Sarah looked at this and we're like, wow, like <laughs> I would actually pay some of that. Um, so a very well-respected third-party um, research company pulled a little over 2,000 um, consumers um, and asked them, what platforms would you pay for on a monthly basis? And if so, how much? Um, so leading in number one. YouTube, people, 72% of people would pay for YouTube on a monthly basis and they would pay up to $4.20 a month. And that's kind of, I think that's one of the highest on this list. So thinking about that, that's like pretty reasonable, especially if you're using YouTube on a day-to-day basis for entertainment as opposed to maybe something like cable. Oh, I um, think every parent would pay for that. Like I totally agree. <laughs> with kids, they would be <laughs> like, oh, that's totally worth it to keep them busy. <laughs> Um, and then below that would be Google Maps at $3.48. Now, I actually think this is interesting because Apple, like if you have an iPhone, I guess, or an Android, it comes with a map feature already. Why would anyone pay for that? You know, so yeah. some of these I'm like, but that Google, doesn't really make yeah, sense. Yeah, Google Maps, though, I mean, has really evolved, though, where it will show like all the local places. I don't know yeah. so much about Honestly, Safari Maps or Apple Maps because I never use them. <laughs> right. However, I would say that if Google as a platform um, did a monthly service so that included maybe like the drive, um, slides, email, yeah. whatever. So you get the whole Google suite oh, yeah. for a monthly cost. I think a lot of people would pay for it. Definitely. Um, Facebook, 64% of people would pay for it at $2 and 92 cents a month. And this one actually, I feel like has been talked about in the past is Facebook, is Facebook going to change to a paid model? Um, so far, no word. Um, but I I could see that in the future. Um, well, as marketers that could change things too, because if they went to a paid model, they're always saying, oh, the ad, ads are getting oversaturated, oversaturated. Mm-hmm. They're kind of 
You know, that's why it's more expensive to run an ad now on Facebook. So it'd be interesting if Facebook went to the paid model mm-hmm. and, you know, how that would affect those ad strategies or even yes. if they would need ads at that point. They're getting tons of revenue now from a paid model. Yeah. I think... If I'm thinking just from like an entirely personal perspective, if mm-hmm. I had to choose one of the, the the social media platforms that I was not going to pay for, I think it would be Facebook. Yeah. If they had Facebook Messenger as a separate paid option, I would oh. probably do that. They do. Well, at least in this poll. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess it would depend, you know your age we're not going to say our ages on here (laughs) but you are a little bit younger Mm -hmm. and so you don't use facebook as much whereas now facebook is thought of as maybe an older Mm -hmm. platform where older people are using it but even then i could see older people not wanting to pay for it so that's interesting (laughs) it it is really interesting so anyway we'll link the article in the show notes as usual so you can dive really deep we've got platforms like um, I mean, FaceTime isn't even a platform, but it's on here and people would pay for it. Um, Venmo, Instagram, WhatsApp, Google Translate, right. um, and even Yelp. So take a look at that. The numbers are really interesting. But what I found the most interesting was what those companies would earn if they moved to a paid model. And the numbers are kind of like, why wouldn't you do that? Exactly, <laughs> you right. Would, you would make so much money. And if, you know, over 70% of users would agree to pay that i don't know i'm not a business expert but that right makes sense yeah there's me. probably a lot more that would go into this decision of them switching oh, yeah. their model from a free to a freemium to a pay right to a, you know exactly. there's a lot more that yeah. would go into this um but I, I personally find these numbers really interesting so yes it's fascinating take a look yeah, so next up, we have a few other kind of Facebook, Instagram news. First off, um, if you run a lot of campaigns and you've been in the back end of your um, ad manager in Facebook, you've kind of noticed that now there is a little checkbox for kind of this special audience ads. So the big news is how Facebook is attempting to target ads without personal data. And we'll link this in the show notes, but it's very interesting, especially if you are in the housing, employment, or credit ads, which have always been really hard to run ads for on Facebook as they kind of keep diminishing down the data that's available for you to pull from or that they can pull from with all different privacy acts. So now they're saying that they will allow advertisers to create an alternative lookalike audience that pivots away from that specific targeting, but then that will somehow still be relevant to go after that audience that you want. So it's very interesting to see how this will play out. Um, They say it's an alternative route um, based on people's online behavior not personal attributes. So it really just goes to show that, um, you know, if you're a marketer and you run a lot of Facebook ads, if you're considered a Facebook ad buyer, that is quickly evolving and changing. And there's even been talk of speculation of, you know, influencer marketers saying, oh, does this lead to the days of specific targeting on Facebook being over? So time will tell about that. And I'm sure this is something that probably is heavy on Facebook's mind. And um, so, yeah, time will tell on that what happens with that. So 
Very interesting. And then another Facebook news article that caught my eye was the move toward um, Zuckerberg had mentioned this about wanting to kind of bring the umbrella of all their family of apps under one umbrella, calling it interoperability. So they're kind of, you know, they we uh, talked about a little bit ago on a past podcast how Instagram is renaming itself to Instagram from Facebook <laughs> and WhatsApp from Facebook. So they're yeah, I know, not a huge oh, change there, but now they will also be um Instagram will be taking the messenger technology and moving that into their platform. And while you won't see the direct messages change that much, the technology powering that will change. So whereas the consumer is not going to notice, I guess it has a bunch of people at Instagram who actually work for Instagram up in arms. And there's really kind of a dividing line right now happening in the Facebook organization over whether each platform needs to be autonomous or each platform should be together. <laughs> That's interesting because I feel, I mean... Yeah, I'm sure you guys would agree with this, that both platforms are like fundamentally used differently. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, at least from our perspective, that they have been able to, they've been allowed to run kind of separately. They have their own management teams, like the Instagram team. Well, now parts of it will, will report directly to the Facebook team. But yeah. it sounds like... Well, and I guess people's email addresses, this has been a big thing, at Instagram have changed from at Instagram.com to at Facebook.com fascinating yeah <laughs> but it seems like the platform has done so well for itself and and they seem to have like really kept up well with 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 customer how they use the platform and how they want to use the platform and trends and all that kind of stuff it seems weird that facebook is choosing now to come in and and try and sort of be big brother in a situation mm -hmm. where they I would say they've been behind on a lot of trends or they've been ones that have copied trends that have kind of fallen flat. I'm thinking of like stories in particular and things like that, whereas Instagram has been very successful. So I don't know. That's just, it just, it's just a weird situation to me. That's like a big time head scratcher. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of speculation about that. Zuckerberg just wants more control now and kind of pulling all the strings. And so, yeah, yeah you know, with any big company, there's always some something behind the scenes that it, it just seems like a classic case of like, why fix it if it's not broken? Like Instagram yeah. is doing so well right now. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Instagram by Facebook, you mean? <laughs> so moving on, we will post that article in the show notes. And definitely that is something we're going to be keeping our ears on the ground or rather online to learn more uh -huh. about and share. So a perfect tie in today with our interview. We found this interesting, interesting study about how Coca-Cola is using AI to help them market their colas better. And Alex, can you explain a little bit about this? Yeah. So obviously we all know the brand that is Coca-Cola and it is sold around the world. It is sold in over 200 countries. Um, and of course, as you sell in different countries and different cultures, your approach to marketing has to change. Um, you know, the way, even, even the, the labeling, the bottling, the packaging, um, each country has its own different requirements on nutrition labels and how those are approached and all this kind of stuff. So, um, one of the interesting things that, that Coca-Cola is doing to be more 
um, they're trying to be more proactive in the types of ads that they're producing in the advertising content is what they're doing is they're actually scanning all of the content online in which they are tagged um, or, you know, that's produced by the end user. For example, you know, you take a picture, you're holding a Coke um, and you post that picture on Instagram, you tag Coke. They scan it and they're looking at what sort of setting you are in. Um, Are you on the beach? Are you on a deck? Are you hanging out with friends? And they're using this sort of information um, to make better decisions on on what sort of ad content they should produce that is very relative to um, or makes sense for the end user that they are targeting in their different markets. Yeah, so cool. So if maybe people prefer drinking Coke at a barbecue versus drinking what's another brand sprite at the barbecue (laughs) you know so definitely something that is very interesting and i think people will be very surprised that they are scanning all of your pictures and finding this stuff out (laughs) well and 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 to that point though it's it's you know of course this is something that has to happen as the result of a software if if this was done by humans this would absolutely take forever and oh would be gosh, an impossible yeah. task. Impossible. So with the rise of these kinds of technologies, uh, being able to scale a process like this and making the, the end users um, experience more personalized makes sense. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so just an interesting use case from a company that we're all familiar with um, and probably partake in their product every once in a while. <laughs> right, right. And I really liked that um, in the article, something about like how the machines that you buy from kind of influence the different flavors yeah. in their locations. So they were saying that uh, most of you guys have probably seen the the Coke machines where you can like choose your own flavors that you put into the drink. Um, apparently they have installed some sort of AI. I, now, I, I can't explain this in, in tons of detail, um, but they have installed this on like over a million machines apparently in Japan. Um, and what they have found is that they're able to like more accurately predict and and recommend different types of beverage combinations for like uh, different uh sites where the the machines are used so for example um like the machines that are in gyms which kind of surprised me that these are in gyms um (laughs) but they're more they recommend drinks that are more have to do with like activity and like recovery things like that so like powerade maybe Mm. a powerade is a coke product i think um whereas something that's in a shopping center is much more like fun and like fruity flavored and more just has to you know just colorful and 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 associated with like having a good time okay yeah so interesting so uh, some of some of the decisions like that i i would think that are like a little bit um kind of common sense but there are situations i'm sure where you can use ai to just like reaffirm that maybe they could have been wrong and found you know a different result but now that they know they are right and they can continue rolling out that out in different places. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, like you said, it helps analyze all of this data a little quicker, a little faster, a little better, a little more. You know, it's like the focus groups of old are gone and you can just use AI to help you analyze this and a much bigger section than you could maybe, you know, in the old days of just like a focus group or something. Yeah. It's a fascinating concept. I'm curious just in the future. Like this is a very non-menacing version of like what I think people imagine AI being. I think people are scared of like AI turning into this like computer monster that takes (laughs) the world and like, you know, stuff like that. But it's cool seeing uh, it being used in a situation like this that seems like very harmless and non-menacing and something that will just improve the end user's experience. 
Exactly. And that's a perfect lead in today to our interview with Paul from Atomic Reach. And he can speak so much into this non-invasive way of using AI to improve your content marketing to lead to better conversions with your target audience. So let's jump in. Welcome, Paul, to the 21 Handshake Marketing Podcast. First off, give us some background on Atomic Reach and yourself. Who are you? What do you do? How long you have been doing it? All, all the good details. Sure. Thank you for having me on. Uh, so Atomic Reach, we are a software as a service marketing technology. We use artificial intelligence and machine learning to optimize the language that marketers use within their digital content uh, to connect with their customers, to move customers through their customer journey, to get thought leadership out there and build their brand capital. And uh, we, we do this leveraging AI machine learning to actually look at the, the words, phrases, sentence structure that are used uh, within digital content. And then we are able to optimize that uh, based on customer engagement and to drive customer behavior. Wow, that is that is so cool, especially in a world where we are just there's so much content at us every day. Everyone is trying to get more eyeballs and awareness on their stuff. And it does boil down to using those right words and, um, you know, ideas to make them read it or, you know, become aware of that. So why, why did Atomic Reach start? What was the interest in building an AI platform to analyze content? Sure. Well, you know, a, a typical founder story when uh, the company was first envisioned by Bradley Silver, our CEO and founder, it, uh, it wasn't a vision of an AI company. He actually developed a, uh, a platform that was used for content curation. So as digital content really kind of took off and was embraced by uh, marketers as a way to engage their uh, different uh, target markets, the, they really struggled with having the uh, internal horsepower and bandwidth to produce enough content, uh, enough high quality content to really, uh, you know, really start to, to get their name out there. And so they looked to third parties to supplement, supplement their internal content development uh, capabilities. And so Bradley developed Atomic Reach to uh, allow enterprise companies to come to Atomic Reach, uh, discuss the, the different types of content that they were looking for, and then Bradley would uh, go out and cure the, curate that content with uh, you know, a, a vetted roster of writers, subject matter experts, et cetera. As he was uh, operating that business, he found that there were times where he would procure a piece of content for a client and it would perform really well, and other times he would uh, procure a piece of content and it wouldn't perform well. And in both circumstances, he looked at the content and he thought, you know, it's on topic, it's well written, you know, a quality writer was used, it's presented in a, in a visually stimulating format. I can't understand why one performed and one didn't. And as he went out and discussed this with other content publishers and writers and uh, enterprise clients, they all said, hey, we all have this issue, uh, but writing's a bit of an art. and uh, you know, when a, when a piece of content doesn't perform, you pull it down, you create a new piece of content and you publish it and hopefully it does better. 
So at that time, Bradley said, well, this presents a, a direct challenge to the value proposition of my content curation business. Uh, I think I've identified an issue that's experienced uh, across the board, regardless of industry vertical or uh, type of company. And uh, I really think that there's an opportunity to try bring some science into the content creation process and using artificial intelligence and machine learning, but uh, you know, specific application around natural language processing and natural language generation to uh, try and tackle this problem and ensure that when a piece of content is created and published, that it's going to perform to the expectations that the publisher has. That's so fascinating. I, I was just going to say the same thing because we talk pretty frequently within our own business about how marketing generally is a, it's some combination of, of, of math and art. Uh, and it sounds like that is exactly what you guys have done, taking um, kind of this new fostering technology and taking it and applying it to a space where generally there hasn't been any you know, scientific mm -hmm. innovation on it or within it. And there are so many people that struggle with copywriting. I mean, it, like copywriting really is an art and a talent. And I think like really good copywriters are difficult to find. You oh, know, yeah. Anyone art, who's in a marketing profession can probably agree with that. Yeah. Or you're paying out the wazoo for them. Which, exactly. You know, so and when it came down to it, you were like, oh, I just needed to tweak a few words and that would have made it better. <laughs> yeah. uh, absolutely. And I, and I think that's really uh, important to highlight uh, when the... the when a uh, enterprise customer uses our platform, the, the way we onboard them uh, to the platform is we would look at the historical content that they've published in the past and the associated engagement metrics for that content. And those engagement metrics could be, you know, the traditional metrics of page views and open rates and click-through rates and time on page and, and those sorts of things. Uh, and then any other type of business intelligence and data that's, the uh, client may track associated with that content, sales conversions, and uh, you know meetings with sales sales reps, those sorts of things. So we look at all of that information and, and put that through our platform, and then our platform provides what we call a content profile to the content creator. And that content profile says, "We've looked at all of your historical content, and this is what we found." when you have content that performs really well it's written in this type of format and so we'll talk about things like you know sentence structure and vocabulary used and how many words are in a heading and what the emotional tone is um those sorts of things you know things that are, are easily understood uh by the human um and sometimes when we uh actually optimize a piece of content, we're only changing uh, a few words within, you know, it could be a, 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 you know, a thousand word blog post or something. And, and there's only a few kind of keywords and phrases that are changed. And that's kind of the beauty of our platform. The machine works with the content creator, you know, to, to be able to leverage that artistic style that they have. But what we really provide, the value that we really provide is our technology is built on a customer behavior model that we've developed where we've mapped every word in the English language. We understand how words relate to, to one another, you know, so we can understand how a, a cluster of words could include something like man, woman, child, uh, boy, girl, lady, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, 
those words aren't necessarily um, synonyms for one another, but they do relate with one another. And so we mapped all of that out from an English language perspective, and then we've been able to correlate those words to customer behavior. So we understand which words and phrases uh, actually get the customer to take an action. And, you know, regardless of what that action is that you want them to take, whether it's download a piece of content, uh, buy my product, book a sales meeting, uh, whatever, we're, we're agnostic from the, uh, the marketing objective that you're trying to achieve. As long as we can get that historical data and, and complete our analysis, we can identify uh, which words and phrases will correlate with that customer behavior to get them to take an action in order to achieve the objective that you've set, set out for that piece of content. And so, you, you know, we're not just, you know, swapping out uh, words for the sake of, of swapping out words and we're not rewriting massive uh, amounts of, of content. We're really only focused on those, those keywords and phrases. And as an individual, to, to look at a thousand word document and be able to say, well, I actually only have to change these five or six words or these two or three phrases uh, to be able to identify which words, which phrases, when you think about human bias and those sorts of things, incredibly difficult to do. Yeah, that is, that is so cool, especially as I'm sure some people come to you and really have their heart set maybe on, I love this piece of content. My heart went into it writing it, but it's just not converting. And how do I how do I do that? So that's cool that it can go through and just, hey, this is what you should be saying in this type of way. But the idea is still the same. Another question that came to mind as you were talking. So when most brands come to you or small businesses or, or just a new client, do they come to you with already having a customer profile built out? Because obviously it's going to, you know, perhaps change a little bit from industry to industry, from maybe a target audience, maybe in healthcare versus a target audience in a B2B setting, like a manufacturing setting or so. Um, how Can you tell us a little bit about how that how that works? Sure. And, uh, you know, I, absolutely. They, they come and they understand, uh, you know, the sophisticated market typically understands who, who are their target markets and uh, what is, what's the, the different company profile uh, that they look, look, that they're looking for from a firmographic perspective in terms of, you know, revenue size, number of employees, those sorts of things. Uh, but then they also understand, well, who's the, who do I have to talk to within that organization uh, that's actually going to buy my product or service, and you know what's that customer persona look like, and and you know what are the what are the challenges that they have day to day, and how can how can I help them through my products or services to to solve those challenges? So hundred percent, they they have that uh, that customer persona in mind, and they've typically been developing their marketing strategy and their digital content. Uh, to target those different customer personas. And, you know, there might be four or five different uh, customer personas within a, a specific enterprise uh, target customer where, you know, you can think you've got the traditional decision maker, the person that controls the purse strings, uh, the actual user of the product or service uh, on the team. You know, there might be IT people that get involved if it's a technology that needs to be 
uh, integrated with with other technologies that they might have within the marketing technology stack. So you there's a host of different people that you would typically target within a, a customer account that uh, you want to engage with that you that each have uh, different challenges that they that they you know have to uh, deal with on a day to day basis. Different ways that they're evaluated from a performance perspective. And, and those sorts of things. And so you need to be able to speak to those individuals in, in different ways um, so that, you know, the, the information you're providing is of value to you. I'm, so go ahead. I'm, I'm sort of curious, kind of along the lines of this, uh, what we're talking about here, do you guys see, for example, when you're comparing like a 16 to 20 year old demographic versus a, I don't know, like 48 to 55 or something like that. Do you see dramatic differences in how those like demographics are speaking um, or like the language that they're using or what, what language seems to be effective with them? Absolutely. A hundred percent. You, you see that. Uh, and, and a good example of that is uh, a retailer that we work with um, up here in Canada called Golf Town. And the initial uh, project we worked with them on was to optimize product descriptions for men's and ladies golf clubs uh, within their e-commerce store. Mm-hmm. And when we did our analysis, we came back to them and said, well, actually, when you're uh, targeting a, a male consumer, what we found is from a, a readability perspective, uh, it's got to be pretty basic. Uh you know, not real complex language, you know, kind of kind of very straightforward and easily understood. Uh, and from an emotional tone perspective, they want to be excited. Uh, so, you know, the words on the page have to evoke that uh, excited emotional response. When we, when we looked at female golf clubs uh, and what the right uh, content profile was for them, we found that uh, the female golf club consumer actually likes things that are language that's a bit more complex. Uh, you know, they like to get into the details and, and uh, you know, specifications of, of the, the club. And from an emotional perspective, they like it to be, you know, kind of relatively neutral. Uh, so, you know, so two very different ways to speak to two different customer personas within, you know, your, your, your golf enthusiast market segment. And uh, when we went through the optimization process, uh, we were able to deliver a, a 7.29% uh, increase in sales for golf clubs uh, when they used our optimized product descriptions within their e-commerce store. Um, so there's, there's absolutely different ways to, to speak to, to different market segments. Um, and to, to go back to, to the previous question, when an enterprise customer comes to us and says, hey, here's our customer persona. Uh, We want to be able to optimize content for them. What we would do is we would look at all of the content they've used in the past that they've targeted at that particular persona. And we would do an analysis and say, okay, when you're targeting that that persona and content performs really well, here are the characteristics of that content. And so going forward, you want to create content that that meets that particular content profile for that particular customer persona. Another thing you could do with our platform is uh, if you have kind of special events or special promotions that you, that you run that, you know, if you're a retailer, that's going to do something for back to school 
and you again in the past you've run a, a lot of different uh marketing campaigns around back to school and, and different uh, digital content promotions again we could look at all of that uh content that have been that's being used to target that particular event. And again, do the same sort of analysis and say, look, when you're doing a back to school, this is the way that you need to speak to, uh, to your customer in order to get them to engage with you and uh, achieve the objectives that, that you've set up. So those are a few different use cases um, and ways that you can, you can use our platform. We spend a lot of time at 21 Handshake researching like trends and upcoming you know 2020 um, digital marketing trends and a lot of that surrounds AI which um, is not surprising but I think to most they don't fully understand what that means and or how um, digital marketers can use it and I think those are some great 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 examples of how AI can really benefit um, any company and, and increase sales yeah totally agree Ashley I do think there is this aura of mystery, though, still about it, or that people think, well, big brands are using this. For example, um, in our intro, we talked about how Coca-Cola was using it, but they don't understand like how the that data from AI could be, you know, applicable to them. What kind of questions do you get about this, Paul, when new clients come to you or new prospects come to you? What are some of their hesitations about using AI? Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of them conceptually get the, uh, the different use cases that you put out and, and how those things could provide value, but they don't actually understand um, how to go about achieving, uh, you know, those, those use cases and, uh, really getting value out of AI platforms. And I think, uh, a lot of the challenges that, or a lot of questions that we get from marketers are, well, what data, what data do you actually need to, to feed into the machine and how much data do you need and where's that data come from? And, uh, how long is it going to take you to, to do the analysis and, and pull out the insights that the, that the technology can provide? And then once I've got those insights, how do I actually apply those insights to my business to achieve the benefit that you're telling me I'm going to achieve if, if, I, if I'm able to apply them? Uh, so I think those are a lot of the questions that we get. And then of course it's, well, how long is all of this gonna take? You know, how quickly am, am I going to realize these benefits? And then, you know, how much is it going to cost me to, to do? Uh, so those are, those are typically the questions that, uh, that you get. And, um, you know, it, it's just a matter of really kind of sitting down and, and walking them through your, your particular solution and uh, getting them to understand kind of, how your platform works and and uh, the value that it, it can provide. So the way we approach it is uh, we typically will do a proof of concept with a customer. So you know rather than you know trying to tackle the uh, entire digital content strategy that they have, we might focus on a, a few, few specific use cases. And typically, we'll sit down with the with the uh, the client and say, you know, what what are the real challenges that you're having? 
what are you trying to achieve with the, with your digital content strategy? And then based on the answers to those questions, we start to identify the pain points that they have. And typically, you know, it could be things like, hey, we really have a tough time uh, filling the top of our sales funnel, or we really have a tough time moving customers through through the funnel or through that customer journey, or we get them to a certain point and then they, they bleed out of the funnel for whatever reason. And we're not really sure why. And so we start to identify those different problems and then we come back to them and say, okay, well, th this is how you can leverage our platform to address that particular issue. And let's develop a little proof of concept um, around solving that problem and uh, get you comfortable with the platform and, and how it works. You can start to see some of the benefits that we can deliver and, and how long it all takes and, uh, and get comfortable with the, with the solution. So obviously you guys have, I mean, you have proof that the product works. There's a huge amount of potential um, for your product. And so I'm curious whether it's for Atomic Reach or for the AI industry in general, where do you see it headed in the next few years? Um, and how do you feel about it? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm really excited. I, I think if you, if you, if you just talk about digital content from a marketing perspective, mm -hmm. uh, what big data and artificial intelligence allows you to do is really find out what does your customer want and how do they want me to engage with them and what information can I provide to them that's going to be of value. You know, it's, I was, I was at a, a marketing conference and an individual was presenting and he was actually, he was talking about privacy and he's like, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, if you look at all of the market research, customers say they want personalization, they want, they want relevant content. They only want, uh, the, uh, the enterprise to engage with them when, uh, you know, they've got something relevant to say that's going to be of value. Uh, when you can do all those things, people people don't worry so much about privacy because they feel that uh, they're getting something of value. It's when they get that email that has their name and it's something that's completely not relevant and they have no interest in and they start to think, well, Wait a minute. Why does this company know who I am when, you know, they really don't know what I want? I've never asked them to engage with me. Those sorts of things. Then they think that personalization gets really creepy. And so I think big data and artificial intelligence is going to allow uh, marketers to really figure out how do, how do they drive value and how do they always provide value at each touch point that they have with their customer. And I think that's a win for, for both sides, both for the business and, and for the consumer. And, you know, as more technologies uh, come out there, come out to the market and additional learnings happen, uh, it's just going to get better and better and better. And so from a business, there's the, you know, the increased revenue potential that that, that can provide for them. Then there's also all of the operational efficiencies that you might start to see uh, by different applications of artificial intelligence uh, within workflows and those sorts of things, whether it be identifying uh, the hottest lead for, for your sales organization to engage with because that's the one that's ready to buy, 
or it's serving up the right piece of content at the right time, using the right language and words on the page to, to get your customer to engage, or if it's some you know, operational thing around uh, you know, bid optimization for digital ads. Um, you know, these algorithms and you know, the machine learning aspect of it, uh, they're constantly going to evolve. And they're constantly going to improve and, you know, it should continue to, to drive value. Yeah, that is so cool. And we talk about that all the time here, just amongst ourselves about how, well, yeah, you know, ads are, you know, just taking ads, for example, you know, but it was cool that it was relevant to me, you know, like, mm. I don't, you know, we don't think we mind too much about that as long as it was something that I was interested in. And so I really do feel like, AI is just hitting the tip of the iceberg right now and it's just going to get better and better. And I love how Atomic Reach helps change that content and uses AI to help kind of target down what your target audience or, you know, prospects want to hear. And that's just, that's very, very cool. You guys are doing some amazing things over there. So thanks again so much, Paul, for being on and explaining a little bit more today about how AI works with content marketing and the work that Atomic Reach is doing. So where can people find you if they want to learn more? Sure. So you can always uh, find us online at atomicreach.com. Uh, you can always reach out directly to me at uh, Paul Roscoe at atomicreach.com. Uh, you know, we're, we're always out attending shows. I'll be out at Content Marketing World, and uh, there's a CMO, CMO Summit event in Chicago in September. And, you know, some of the, some of the big industry shows uh, like Dreamforce and those sorts of things. So uh, we'll always uh, be attending those different events and, and trying to engage with our customer base and, and the market in general. Very cool. We will definitely link all those in our show notes at 21handshake.com. So listeners, be sure to check those out. And we want to know, listeners, have you used AI for marketing? We really are so interested to hear your thoughts on this topic. So please connect with us at 21handshake on social media and let us know. Did you like this episode? Of course you did. Yes. Then please like, subscribe, leave a review, and share it with a friend. It really does help get the word out about the show. Until next time.